Thank you so much to our sponsors, Yellow Racket Records, a place for music lovers to discover, hear, and buy new and pre-loved records. Great staff, great coffee, comfy chairs. YellowRacketCHA.com and RC2 Realty Solutions Real Estate Investments. Robin Ring's got a brand new thing. Call 531-1722. Only in Jeff Styles America. Hey folks, Jeff Styles here, spelled with a Y. Nuga's own Jeff Styles, old El Jefe. Time for another Storyville. And today, Storyville is going to actually be from an actual story. I'm just going to be reading to you. I have been enjoying very much the new series that HBO has out called Lovecraft Country. I am a big fan of horror fiction writer H.P. Lovecraft. A singular talent in this world, and I think that the folks at HBO, including Jordan Peele, the guy that did Get Out, um, a remarkable, imaginative artist, they have done a fantastic job with this show. It's a melding of actual science fiction and classic horror and real-world racism set back in the 50s and even some of the stuff going on today, and it's a very intriguing amalgamation. But Lovecraft himself, as we come up on the Halloween season, I've mentioned before in several of my stories, I have famously done ghost stories that I've lived through myself or experienced myself, strange goings-on that have been witnessed by other people. But I've mentioned many times the fact that certain places, places, not just houses, not haunted houses, One of my stories was about a dam, a big dam that was haunted as any place I've ever been before. And sometimes there are just locations in the woods on an old country road or or just on a trail and you'll come around a corner and there'll just be sort of a, a strange little pasture where nothing is growing, a little bald top hill out in the middle of nowhere and you're wondering, wonder why this occurred or a certain rock outcropping that seems unusual and you'll just get the the hairs on the back of your neck that will rise up and you just think there's something unnatural about this place and it can be in the middle of just beautiful nature but there's something that gets your hackles up about a place there are a certain number of places around the chattanooga area where this podcast originates i can name a couple right off the bat and I know the Argonaut here, my producer Jason would agree with me, Old Lightfoot Mill Road. Old Lightfoot Mill Road is this old road that just goes down through it. It has a lot of Civil War history and pre-Civil War history. It has several bridges on it. That place is just spooky. It is. It's sketchy. It, 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 you feel it when you're there. And there's an, uh, another one up on top of legendary Lookout Mountain, Lookout Mountain that looms over the city. It's called Old Watauga Pike. It is an unused road. It hasn't been used in some time. And the fact that it's over a cavernous cave, a huge big space where you've heard of the world-famous Ruby Falls, you know, Ruby Falls, this underground waterfall, the fact that it's over that cavern may have something to do with it, but Old Watauga Pike is another one. When you're up there by yourself, even in the middle of a sunny day in the fall, there's just something about the place. It is. It just, it's the spooky. 
Well, I have in my hand H.P. Lovecraft, his short story, The Dunwich Horror, and to a large degree, the new show, Lovecraft Country, is based on the Dunwich Horror, or at least the location where it takes place. So give me just a second, and let me let the master, H.P. Lovecraft, sort of describe, just use his words and his very unique way of conjuring up images to describe a place just in America that provides a sense of dread. And it has a backstory and a history and maybe that's why all these places have some sort of sense of dread. There's been a lot of people before us. Who knows what happened in these spots? But it goes like this. The Dunwich Horror. Color becomes pallor. Man becomes carcass. Home becomes catacomb. The dead are but for a moment motion. When a traveler in north-central Massachusetts takes the wrong fork at the junction of the Aylesbury Pike just beyond Dean's Corners, he comes upon a lonely and curious country. The ground gets higher and the briar-bordered stone walls press closer and closer against the ruts of the dusty, curving road. The trees of the frequent forest belts seem too large, and the wild weeds, brambles, and grasses attain a luxuriance not often found in settled regions. At the same time, the planted fields appear singularly few and barren, while the sparsely scattered houses wear a surprisingly uniform aspect of age, squalor, and dilapidation. Without knowing why, one hesitates to ask directions from the gnarled, solitary figures spied now and then on crumbling doorsteps or on the sloping, rock-strewn meadows. Those figures are so silent and furtive that one feels somehow confronted by forbidden things with which it would be better to have nothing to do. When a rise in the road brings the mountains in view above the deep woods, the feeling of strange uneasiness is increased. The summits are too rounded, and symmetrical to give a sense of comfort and naturalness and sometimes the sky silhouettes with a special clearness the queer circles of tall stone pillars with which most of them are crowned gorges and ravines of problematical depth intersect the way and the crude wooden bridges always seem of dubious safety when the road dips again there are stretches of marshland that one instinctively dislikes and indeed almost fears at evening when unseen whippoorwills chatter and the fireflies come out in abnormal profusion to dance to the raucous, creepily insistent rhythms of stridently piping bullfrogs. The thin, shining line of the Miskatonic's upper reaches has an oddly serpent-like suggestion as it winds close to the feet of the domed hills among which it rises. As the hills draw nearer, one heeds their wooded sides more than their stone-crowned tops. Those sides loom up so largely and precipitously that one wishes they would keep their distance, but there is no road by which to escape them. Across a covered bridge, one sees a small village huddled around the stream and the vertical slope of round mountain and wonders at the cluster of rotting gambrel roofs bespeaking an earlier architectural period than that of the neighboring region. 
It is not reassuring to see, on a closer glance, that most of the houses are deserted and falling to ruin, and that the broken steepled church now harbors the one slovenly mercantile establishment of the hamlet. One dreads to trust the tenebrous tunnel of the bridge, yet there is no way to avoid it. Once across, it is hard to prevent the impression of a faint, malign odor about the village street as of the massed mold and decay of centuries. It is always a relief to get clear of the place and to follow the narrow road around the base of the hills and across the level country beyond it until it rejoins the Ellsbury Pike. Afterward, one sometimes learns that one has just been through Dunwich. Outsiders visit Dunwich as seldom as possible, and since a certain season of horror, all the signboards pointing toward it have been taken down. The scenery judged by any ordinary aesthetic canon is more than commonly beautiful, yet there is no influx of artists or summer tourists. Two centuries ago, when talk of witch blood Satan worship and strange forest presences was not laughed at, it was the custom to give reasons for avoiding the locality. In our sensible age now, since the Dunwich Horror of 1928 was hushed up by those who had the towns and the world's welfare at heart, people shun it without knowing exactly why. Perhaps one reason, though it cannot apply to uninformed strangers, is that the natives are now repellently decadent, having gone far along that path of retrogression so common in many New England backwaters. They have come to form a race almost by themselves, with the well-defined mental and physical stigmata of degeneracy and inbreeding. The average of their intelligence is woefully low, whilst their annals reek of overt viciousness and of half-hidden murders, incests, and deeds of almost unnameable violence and perversity. The old gentry representing the two or three families which came from Salem in the 1600s have kept somewhat above the general level of decay, though many branches are sunk into the sordid populace so deeply that only their names remain as a key to the origin they disgrace. No one, even those who have the facts concerning the recent horror, can say just what is the matter with Dunwich. Though old legends speak of unhallowed rites and conclaves of the Indians, amidst which they called forbidden shapes of shadow out of the ground and at the rounded hills about and made wild orgiastic prayers that were answered by loud crackings and rumblings from the ground below. In 1747, the Reverend Habijai Hoadley, newly come to the Congregational Church at Dunwich Village, preached a memorable sermon on the close presence of Satan and his imps, in which he said, It must be allowed that these blasphemies of an infernal train of demons are matters of too common knowledge to be denied. The cursed voices of Azazel and Buzrael and Beelzebub and Belial being heard now from underground by above by a score of credible witnesses now living, I myself did not more than a fortnight ago catch a very plain discourse of evil powers in the hill behind my house wherein there was a rattling and rolling, groaning and screeching and hissing, such as no things of this earth could raise up, and which must need things have come from those caves that only black magic can discover and only the devil unlock. Mr. Hoadley disappeared soon after delivering this sermon, 
but the text printed in Springfield is still extant. Noises in the hills continue to be reported from year to year and still form a puzzle to geologists and physiographers. Other traditions tell of foul odors near the hill-crowning circles of stone pillars and of rushing airy presences to be heard faintly at certain hours from stated points at the bottom of the great ravines, while still others try to explain the Devil's Hop Yard, a bleak, blasted hillside where no tree, shrub, or grass blade will grow. Then, too, the natives are mortally afraid of the numerous whippoorwills which grow vocal on warm nights. It is vowed that the birds are psychopomps, lying in wait for the souls of the dying, and that they time their eerie cries in unison with the sufferer's struggling breath. If they catch the fleeing soul when it leaves the body, they instantly flutter away, chittering in demonic laughter. But if they fail, they subside gradually into a disappointed silence. These tales, of course, are obsolete and ridiculous because they come down from very old times. Dunwich is indeed ridiculously old, older by far than any of the communities within 30 miles of it. South of the village, one may still spy the cellar walls and chimney of the ancient bishop house, which was built before 1700, while the ruins of the mill at the falls built in 1806 form the most modern piece of architecture to be seen. Industry did not flourish there, and the 19th century factory movement proved short-lived. Oldest of all are the great rings of rough-hewn stone columns on the hilltops, but these are more generally attributed to the Indians than to the settlers. Deposits of skulls and bones found within these circles and around the sizable table-like rock on Sentinel Hill sustain the popular belief that such spots were once the burial places of the Pocomtuks, even though many ethnologists disregarding the absurd probability of such a theory persist in believing the remains to be Caucasian. And that's the beginning of the Dunwich Horror. And take away the northeastern sounding names of the towns and the pikes and even the Native American tribes, and I could easily be describing the place where I live, Sequatchie County, Tennessee, or any number of the trails and the old country roads that most of us travel around here, the, the woods that seem to press in on all sides and the rounded hills with these strange barren areas where just nothing seems to grow. There is one behind my house. We have 10 acres behind the home where we live up on top of Lewis Chapel Mountain, and it just seems to be a special place, a, a, a circular area that is surrounded by ferns and small evergreens that are no higher than my knee, and it's almost like a little elf circle. Um, nothing grows inside it. There are no trees. There's been no brush cut back there in years and years, but it's just consistently there, just a place of, of just low, scrubby grass that never gets very green in the summer, but never completely dies in the winter. Whenever I actually step into it, I get kind of a chill, and I always wonder, I wonder what could have happened on this very ground years and years and maybe even centuries ago. Pre-indigenous folks, the moon-eyed people, as some of the locals called them. Who were they? What were they up to? 
maybe even human sacrifice, who knows. But just wanted to share that with you during this Halloween season. Um, next Storyville, going to go back to some stories about the haunted house that I lived in that we referred to as Needmore Manor back in the days of college, my college days. Not necessarily about the haunting, just about some of the interesting times we had there. I have people all the time who say, you ought to tell more stories about Needmore, and trust me, there are plenty. Thank you for listening to Storyville. podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of our sponsors, Kelly Subaru, Safe, Frugal, and Green, Riverfront at MLK, and at kellysubaru.com, Dr. Brett Moldenhauer, Institute for Acupuncture and Wellness, and North Spring Cryotherapy and Rejuvenation Center. Find them at northspring.com. For more, go to fredpodcast.com.